Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective. I'm your host, Dallas Taylor. And I'm Lexi. And for today's episode, we are going to be going over and discussing House of X, Powers, and Powers of Ten, the X-Men relaunch from 2019. But before we get into all of that, I want to plug our socials right here in the beginning for all of our new listeners. We've been getting a lot more traffic on the podcast lately, which has been so, so cool. So thank you. And if you don't already, please go follow us on our Twitter account at CMX Collective, as well as our Instagram at The Comics Collective. Also, right off the top, we would love if you all would rate and review us on whatever you're listening to now. We love hearing reviews and we love hearing from you guys. So go ahead and do that now. Yeah, we really, really like it. Uh, and finally, feel free to email us with your questions and comments at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. We usually solicit for questions relating to the book we're reading, but honestly, literally whatever comic-related thing or nerd-related thing that comes to your mind, feel free to email it to us. Be so fun. Um, and with that, let's jump into the episode. <laughs> I am so excited. I love this book. So, for anybody that's unfamiliar, House of X and Powers of Ten was a 2019 relaunch of the X-Men titles where they literally canceled all the X-Men books and then just released these two. And we're like, this is the new way. And it melted everybody's brains. It was so good. Sorry, I have kind of a stuffy nose. So, if I sound ridiculous and you just heard that little snuffle in the back... It's uh, pollen season here. In I was gonna say Utah. me too. So <laughs> bless everybody that's gonna listen to this episode because we're coming in sniffy. Oh good, yeah, that's <laughs> that's gonna sound real great for everybody at home. People I are even like, took I took an allergy pill before because I knew it was gonna happen. People are like, I borderline like this podcast at best, and now <laughs> I have to listen to ASMR snot-filled nose. What can I say? <laughs> I'm allergic to my pillows. I'm allergic to everything, basically. Right. No. I have no, like, food allergies or anything like that. I just have annoying, like, I can't breathe out of my nose ever kind of allergies. Yeah, that runs in the family. I have allergies like that year-round. And now, I've discovered, so, hot take, my roommate has celiacs, so we can't have any gluten-esque items in the house. And I'm also allergic to down feathers, which is all of the pillows that she owns. So we constantly are just in this battle of we're allergic to each other. So it's going well. It's going really well. Love that for you guys. Um, Getting back to the (laughs) X-Men instead of our medical history, the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's a rabbit hole that you started. So I don't, I only am here for the rabbit holes I start. You sniffled first. You're fired from the podcast. Welcome to <laughs> Just Dallas, the podcast. Um, just kidding. That would be so boring. <laughs> Who's going to write the freaking outlines? Not you. I wrote this one. I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> Who's going to edit the podcast? Not you. <laughs> You're right. Not me. If it was up to me, we wouldn't have one. <laughs> oh, for real. Um, everybody's like, damn, they're sniffly and grumpy at each other. It's 10 in the morning. I'm supposed to be asleep. Uh, yeah, we're recording this a little bit early because I finally get to go on a honeymoon. Me and my wife got all vaccinated and our one year anniversary is coming up. So 
we are going on a little trip, which will be really fun. Um, but yeah, back to House of X, Powers of Ten. It blew me away the first time I read it. And so coming back to it for this podcast was really exciting because I've just sort of become accustomed to the Krakoa era of the X-Men. I mean, a couple weeks back, Alexis talked about Marauders and how great that book is. And that's just like one book among many that is top tier excellent during this era of the X-Men. And so it was really fun to come back and read the beginning of this era with House of X, Powers of Ten. Um, This was your first time reading it, Alexis. What was that like? It honestly was so fun. I will have to admit, because I know you and I, we discuss all of this, like, throughout the week. We text each other. We call each other. And I will admit, I'm kind of a little sad that I didn't have any before X-Men knowledge because of what you had told me that, like, this run of the X-Men shook so many people to their core while they were reading it that it was like insane like you'd have to because you'd have to wait for the next issue you'd be like freaking out the whole time because you have no idea what's going on but like I feel like since I was able to just sit down and read all 12 back to back to back in one day I didn't really get that feeling but I I still all that aside loved every second of it and it was so fun to get into Sorry, my mic got a little janky there for a second. Um, Technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. I'm not going to cut it, though, because I don't like to edit things. So instead, (laughs) you will just have an odd little pause and maybe some weird audio for a second. Thank you. There you go, everybody. Very professional podcast. (laughs) I need to learn learn Mort's voice. You are the Mort of this podcast. (laughs) Um... Yeah, this was a huge shakeup for the X-Men. So basically, my entire like reading comics career, the X-Men books that were coming out were good, not great. Yeah. And like some people might disagree, but I do really mean that. I mean good, but not great. Like I always enjoyed them. I liked them. I was reading the Rosenberg stuff leading up to House of X and Powers of Ten, and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Like, okay, whatever. But... This was a game changer. This book came out and everybody started to talk about the X-Men again. Everybody's favorite book became the X-Men again. And that really hadn't happened since like the 1990s, you know, like there was a a quick blip in the 2000s with Grant Morrison coming on. But that was just their book being really good while there were other meh books going on. Yeah. So this is the first time since the Claremont era in the 70s, 80s, and then into the early 90s that, like, all the books are good. And all the books are telling one big, fun story that you want to be a part of. Yeah. And so um, I just – I kind of – we went and we made an outline again for this like we did last week because it went really well. And so something that I observed the first time – the first issue – was sort of the placement of everything. And so my first question for you, Alexis, and then maybe I'll dive into this because I've got some thoughts, but how does Krakoa compare to Israel as a minority nation? Because like issue one is all about, it all takes place in Jerusalem, which seems really intentional. And I mean, the the issue ends with Magneto telling the world that they have new gods. Yeah, yeah. Like what, what were your takeaways with the setting of House of X number one? Well, so I feel like I 
um, I found it very interesting because, I mean, they called out all these representatives to Israel to meet with um, Magneto in, um, I guess you could say, like the Krakoa, um, like what? Embassy. What, yeah, the embassy. Yeah, that's that was the word I was looking for. And I found it very interesting because they kind of present themselves as like, look, we are going to take all of ourselves and we're going to make our own nation. And he presents it in a way of there's not any negotiation. I'm telling you, you don't get to tell me anything back. And I found that very interesting because I feel with some of the discussions that you and I have had, um, you liked that to Israel. You said that you saw very strong parallels with that because um, they're minorities. They need to take themselves and they feel like they are responsible for being protective of themselves. And they think that um, in creating their nation state in Krakoa, that they'll be able to accomplish that. And they, I feel that they do it in a way that when I very first was just reading the first issue, I was kind of like, oh, oh, they're, they're being, they're being mean now. But then you and I had a very interesting conversation where you asked me, is it mean to ask to be treated with respect and not threatened? Because we also see a very interesting conversation. Um, was it Cyclops? Yeah, Dallas? yeah, it was it was Scott and the Fantastic Four. Yes, and they basically were like, "Whoa!" The Fantastic Four were like, "Whoa, okay, we see what you're trying to do now." And Scott basically was like, "Is it so wrong to ask for the respect that we deserve and that we that we need?" He's like, "We're we we need this from you guys, and we're not going to roll over and take your BS anymore." And so I thought that was a very interesting um, position for them to bring out all these people to Jerusalem, which is also, I mean, sorry, Israel, um, that has also a very similar story to that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of the conversation around the X-Men, when this was first coming out, and then it still pops up every once in a while, are people being like, they aren't really acting like superheroes anymore. Like, yeah. They don't feel like good guys. I don't really like what's going on. But again, yeah. I think this issue really sets up well, like, oh, well, this this group that's a stand-in for minority groups just basically isn't taking your crap anymore from the norm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they shouldn't have to, you know? And I feel like that's a very important point to be made is they don't why, – why should they take everybody's crap? Why, why can everyone – give crap to them but as soon as they have something to say about it it's crazy and it creates a whole thing you know totally but i think something that i want to say about the israel metaphor and again like i'm not a jewish person so like take my my thoughts worth a grain of salt right but mm -hmm. i in college i i majored in the hebrew bible i've studied like middle eastern conflict that whole the whole area of the Middle East and then the ancient Near East is fascinating to me, and I I got my degree in it. But Krakoa is really interesting because I think it's intentional to place this issue in Jerusalem 
which is a minority nation that was carved out by the world and said, like, this population that's been wronged gets to live here now. And yeah. that's that's mirroring what was happening with Krakoa. But where it gets sticky is that people were living in Israel when that happened, right? Yeah, and exactly. so there's been a conflict since that occurred. And, I mean, this might alienate some listeners, but I'm very pro-Palestine, right? Like, I think that Israel has encroached and made the lives of these people that I've met, that I've worked with, a lot harder than it needs to be. And mm -hmm. so Krakoa introduces an interesting idea where, like, there weren't people living on that island, right? Yeah. That island is literally a mutant named Krakoa. He just and as long as, there. as long as they respect him, they can live there. And so sort of the sticky bits of Israel and the Palestinian-Israeli conflict have been lifted from Krakoa. And this is sort of shown to be, like, the ideal perfect world version of what a minority nation state can be yeah right yeah but it still shows that like that idea makes people uncomfortable people don't want to recognize that this group of people can all have amnesty and be a part of this nation that like they can identify as a group rather than as members of other nations and i think that's a really interesting conversation that this book is trying to have right out of the gate you know yeah so i feel like with what you just said, I kind of want to follow up with another question that we have on our outline. Um, I'm going to skip around a little bit if that's okay with you. But um, since you just mentioned it, uh, do you believe that there, that there really can be amnesty among the mutants when they've been at war for years? And also like a mini follow up with that. Do we forget about the past of people like Mr. Sinister who have Nazi ties because of the Krakoan amnesty? What do you think? See, it's tricky because, like, Apocalypse is terrifying, right? He's, <laughs> Absolutely. He's such a, a been a bad guy forever, but I really like his arc in the Dawn of X era. And so I'm like, yeah, give Apocalypse a new chance, let him th do things. But then, or even Mr. Sinister, I catch myself all the time forgetting, like, oh, yeah, he is really bad. Like, he's charming <laughs> he's and funny terrible in person. these books. Like, they really sort of, like, made him a funny, fun character to be around. Yeah. But, like, I mean, House of X and Powers of Ten tells you, like, he's a bad guy. And, like, if you've read the X-Men, he's one of the worst villains they've ever interacted with morally. Yeah. Right? And so I catch myself having to wrestle with this idea of amnesty a little bit. Where, like, are there things that are unforgivable? Right? Yeah. But then I was the first one to be joyous when they threw... Sabertooth saber down into the pit. They banished we, him to the shadow realm. We had a um, mini party with some party poppers and streamers. <laughs> well, I was just like, he's he's always been one of my least favorite characters because he's very much coded as like sexually terrifying, right? Yeah, he's like, very spooky. He has he has like big rapist energy, honestly. And like that yeah. makes me uncomfortable and I don't like that. And I so I'm not sad that he's not a part of these stories. <laughs> We're right? very happy that he's been banished to the pit. <laughs> But like Perfect. I can, I can see why some of the superhero um, associates of the X Men are like, are you guys serious? Because yeah. like it's it's been an issue that Magneto has been reformed for twenty years, right? People yeah. are always like, well, that guy. Are you and sure? He, at least he's got some good guy behind him at this point. Some of these yeah. other people were literally villains until the second they got the call for Krakoa. 
But like, I think that that is an important step for the nation state of Krakoa to take, to mm-hmm. be like, we all mutants are welcome and we're going to sort out our own affairs. And I think that we saw a little bit that Krakoa is going to have morality. They are going to have laws that people have to follow. Yeah. They're just saying like, you humans don't have a right to judge us anymore. We will judge and take care of ourselves. Exactly. And I think that's a really interesting place for the X-Men to be. I agree. Um, I found it very interesting because we, you're right, we do see a whole section where they come together and they've created their own government and we see how they decide their, I guess, three major laws. And they're like, we are in charge of governing ourselves. We are the ones that are going to make a difference within ourselves and humans no longer have the option to do that to us and so it's kind of interesting to see them other actions of other mutants like we saw with Sabretooth and how they straight up banished him to the armpit of Krakoa (laughs) they put him in Krakoa's b-hole frankly (laughs) literally they (laughs) banished him to the middle of the island like underground he's just there and it was scary because Xavier was like you will not be able he's like you will know where you are but you will not be able to do anything about it and i was like oh okay yeah i something from this book that i had forgotten because again the last time i read it was two years ago as it was coming out (laughs) was like oh i've been drinking the kool-aid like these guys are sinister and scary (laughs) a little bit you know yeah and i've just kind of like been like oh i love the x-men this is all so fun but going back and reading this i'm like they make choices here that are spooky and like should raise red flags of like, not everything's great on this Island. Like Charles Xavier's like, we don't believe in prisons here. So instead we're going to put you in suspended animation for eternity. Like what the hell? (laughs) Not better. (laughs) What the hell? That's not better. That's not better at all. You're like, you might want to reevaluate that decision. And it's just, it's so interesting. But basically, this whole idea of Krakoa is coming out of the knowledge that Moira McTaggart brought to brought to the forefront with the big revelation from House of X number two. So, Alexis, what were your thoughts on the idea of Moira X from House of X number two? Like that retcon. How did that treat okay. you, basically? <laughs> okay, so... I feel like I didn't quite get the full um, crazy reveal about Moira X being a mutant because I had no idea who she was before since I I feel like it's already been said, but this is my first ever experience with the X-Men. I've never read anything before um, my experience with uh, Marauders and now this. I've never read anything else. So I didn't know who she was beforehand. So it was very interesting for me to just be like, oh, cool. This is this is a cool mutant lady. I like her. She's cool. I think her her mutation is very interesting and in how she is her mutation is literally reincarnation. And I thought it was on my own. I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is cool. And then you, on the other hand, were like, call me as soon as you read this issue. And so I did. 
And you're like, you have no idea how much everybody else was freaking out about this because we all know who she is. She's been around forever. And the fact that she is now being presented as a mutant is insane. And so I feel like it was really, really fun to first have my interaction with the character and be like, yeah, she's cool. And then it made it even more fun to hear your side of it and how you felt while actually reading it real time. Yeah, I, and I'm not even like as attached to Moira McTaggart as other people are. Like, because my jumping on point for the X-Men was Morrison's new X-Men. And from there forward, Moira hasn't had a huge uh, role in the X-Men. Yeah. But when you go back and you read in the Claremont stuff, she's in the background of everything. Like, she was definitely one of Claremont's favorite characters to play with. And so that retcon, it being her, I mean, the idea was bonkers anyway. Basically, (laughs) Moira X, her mutation is that when she dies, she's reincarnated, but with a perfect recollection of everything that occurred in the life before. And so she just keeps snowballing all this information. And you get to see over the course of House of X number two, her different lives play out as she begins to morph and figure out how she's going to help the X-Men. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, that was what a perfect character to do it for because I mean, Moira McTaggart, she has just been retcon after retcon. She's first introduced as the X-Men's house help. Mm -hmm. And she then, and her first appearance, she's like their maid that comes and saves the day with a machine gun in hand from like the bad guy that's defeating <laughs> them all. And then a few issues later, it's like, oh, by the way, she's a Nobel Prize winning geneticist. Yeah, no a, kidding. And then a few issues later, it's like, oh, and by the way, her and Charles have a storied past. And you're like, <laughs> okay, make up your mind. You're like, wait. You, you can't keep like peeling back and a layer of the onion every <laughs> four issues. But so then to have them like peel back this final layer and be like, she's actually been a mutant all along. And that's why she's had such a vested interest in the X-Men. It didn't feel strange. Right. No, it felt, but it, it felt right. It almost like it rang like a correct note almost where you're like, oh, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. And that's so good. Yeah. And it's the kind of retcon that you go back and everything is a little bit better because of it. You know? Mm-hmm. There are some retcons you go back and you're like, oh, well, I have to just forget this whole story even happened, right? Yeah. But, like, Moira, it works. And it works really well. And it really, it laid the groundwork for something so, so interesting. Um, But before we move away out of Moira Town, I asked Alexis to write, like, a brief summary of (laughs) all of Moira's lives. (laughs) Yeah. And so, do you, you don't have to go super in-depth, but do you just want to do, like, a quick rundown? Yeah, of what um, each of her 10 lives are. Because I feel like we get a little confused. Like, we, spoiler for a thing that's going to come up in a month. We just had a conversation with a friend of the podcast. <laughs> we'll let them make the announcement for it, right? We'll let yeah, it be their exciting absolutely. thing. But we talked about how they had an issue with where they didn't realize how one of the lives ended. <laughs> and I totally <laughs> had an issue with how, like, I didn't realize that all of the like X2, like the hundred year stuff with Rasputin and Cardinal, I didn't realize that was the ninth life until like relatively recently. 
I was like, oh, that's not the future of this. That was a different life. Okay, I'm just stupid. I missed that. <laughs> so I think yeah. it'd be helpful to have you run through the lives for people really quick. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah, like you said, um, it's very brief, like kind of more of like a bullet point type thing, because we do see at the end of one of the issues, there's a chart of kind of like a timeline of everything. And so I kind of just took the main points from that. So you can reference that if you'd like. But um, so for the very first life, um, it's relatively very normal, because of course, as a mutant who is mutation is reincarnation how would you know at the very first life so we see her get married she has three kids she lives a very normal life and she dies a very normal ordinary death in her late 70s and we not really much that first life she even says like it's very um non-original very ordinary and so we are instantly put into her second life where we actually see that uh, with the knowledge from her first life, she decides not to go back and marry her husband. And she kind of says um, she realized all of his flaws with all of her knowledge that she had seen before. So she that's where her first fork in the road comes. And she actually enrolls herself in Oxford and goes on to become a biology professor. And um, with that, a few years down the road, she founds the Muir Research Institute. Is that how you say it, uh, Dal? It's just pronounced Muir. Muir. Muir, Muir Island. It comes up a lot oh. in the Claremont X-Men stuff. Well, there you go. There you go. That's how you say it. And then she actually, unfortunately, dies in a plane crash on her way. Um, I'm pretty sure she what said a, it was on what her a way, way to, to go out. Yeah. Yeah. What a way to go out. Life too. Just plane crash. Oops. Yeah. She just dies like out out of nowhere and she's thrust right into her third life where she once again enrolls in Oxford um, and founds the Muir Institute again. Um, she goes on to identify the X gene and with that is awarded a Nobel prize. And with this life, correct me if I'm wrong Dallas, because I was just writing off of the um, chart but it like says dies in a lab fire. Do you have anything to say about that? I mean, that's it shows us in House of X <laughs> how yeah. that occurs. And it's one of my favorite scenes. I'll let you tell it because it's so Do you want me to tell it now or later? Uh it's part of the life. You can you can say it now. Okay. So on the chart, it says dies in a lab fire death, but we actually know that she was very brutally murdered by another mutant who basically comes and <laughs> comes and threatens her because she was making such groundbreaking um, research with the X gene. They came and they threatened her and said, if you ever try to mess with this in being able to overall get rid of the X gene, we will find you and we will kill you. And then she proceeds to burn her alive so that she remembers the threatening. And so it's super interesting. Um, and it's like, we... <laughs> you have to tell them who it was. It was Mystique and Destiny, Destiny. the two baddest bitches of them all. <laughs> yeah, they're super, super fun. And it's very, very frightening. It's a very frightening scene. Um, but after that, we see um, she's 
put into her fourth life. She once again goes through Oxford and actually within this life, she goes on to marry Xavier and they together found the um, Xavier's school for gifted children. And that's a very interesting, it's kind of more of a mellow life. There's not much that happens in this one, but she actually dies in a sentinel attack at the very end. This one didn't really have a lot of information about her life. Um, but yeah, we see that she was there for the founding of the gifted, the school of gifted children. And after the sentinel attack, we are put into her fifth life, which, um, she very early out the get go flies to America to meet Xavier and, um, Together, they establish Fairway. Um, I'm not familiar with that, Dallas. What's Fairway? Honestly, not super sure either. I'm showing <laughs> how I'm. I don't know everything about the X-Men. There's so much to know. Okay, okay that makes me a little bit better then. <laughs> um, and then she actually is, later on, they're attacked by Sentinels again, and she falls into a coma where actually she later dies during um, what they call the fairway genocide. So it seems a very violent, a violent life, this one. Um, and with that, we're right into the sixth life, where this one I actually think was my favorite, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, because this one, she takes a completely different approach. Um, she joins what they refer to as uh, BAF or BAF, and she receives military training, and she proceeds to disappear off the face of the planet. Nobody knows where she is. She goes into hiding, and she proceeds to kill off um, several people. The, so we've got Bolivar Trask, Donald Trask. Wasn't this life seven, or was I mistaken? I'm pretty sure it was six, but let me double check. Now you have me questioning it. <laughs> because six is the one that we find out about at the end of Powers of Ten, number six. Oh, wait. They might have... One second. Hmm? Question? Question mark. <laughs> You're right. So it's... Com this. Okay. Sorry, everyone. I'm mistaken. So the the life six line is completely missing. So I was, like, counting the lines... So that's where I was mistaken. But life six's line from the chart is completely missing. So yes, life six, actually, we see at the very end, um, she, it, I would consider it probably her most mellow life where she just lets everything play out. Would you say the same, Dow? Yeah, it seems like it's the life where she lets things go to their regular conclusions yeah. unabashed by she her. She lets it play right? out. And there's a there's like a big revelation in this one that I don't feel like hit me the same way until I reread the second time, because this whole book is basically like humans create the Sentinels and the Sentinels become Nimrod, mm -hmm. and it's the robots that inherit the world. Yeah, the, like the humans were a means to the robots, but Life Six reveals, no, they were not. In fact, they were just like the antithesis to the mutants. Yeah, and then the humans become good enough with genetics that they evolve themselves unnaturally past the mutants. Yeah, They exactly. become post-humanity, and that's who ends up inheriting the world and, like, destroying the mutants, which I thought was super, super interesting and kind of, like, felt right with the X-Men to come back and be like, no, it was the people all along. Like, humans yeah. are the enemy of the X-Men, not the robots. Exactly. So, yeah, with that one, we see the end of the sixth life um, at the very end with 
I guess you could call it the year a thousand. Um, and it's just her and our lovely best friend Wolverine at the end. And they're the last of mutant kind and Wolverine kills her so that she can restart her life. And so then now we go into year seven, I mean, life seven, where she receives military training and goes on to proceed and kill a bunch of people, which I feel like was very interesting um, and really fun because she it's completely different than what she's done before. Um, and then she actually goes on to die after discovering a wild master mold facility. Dallas, does that make does that ring a bell to you? Yeah, so remember the whole suicide mission, which I'm sure we'll talk about, was to de- get rid of a mother mold, which makes master molds. Master mold oh, makes sentinels. Just kidding. Yes, I do remember that, actually. I forgot that that's what they called that. And so when I like was reading the outline, I was like, wait, mold killed her? I was like, that's really lame. No, no, <laughs> some that makes a bunch of sentinels. Yep, okay. Now that you say that, that rings a bell again. So after that, um, we're in Life 8. And she goes back. She re-enrolls in Oxford once again. Um, It's so funny. It says she rejects Xavier. So I assume that he was trying to get back with her. And then she joins Magneto again. She joins Magneto this time. And together they conquer America. And Moira, it says Moira establishes the House of M. And um, goes on with Magneto dies in the war of M and Moira is imprisoned and dies in a failed prison escape. So a little bit more exciting that one. And once again, something she hasn't done yet. Um, And then goes on to her next life where this one, I feel like is one of the most interesting to me just because purely at the beginning, she says, I did this because I had tried everything else. (laughs) And so she goes on and wakes Apocalypse, and Apocalypse kills Xavier and Magneto, and the two of them rescue the first horseman and return to Earth. Dallas, uh, who are who are they? Oh, go ahead and read Ten of Swords if you want to know about them. It's very mm-hmm. cool, and I won't ruin it for you. <laughs> okay, okay, perfect. I love that. So you heard it from him, Chief. Go and read that. Um, <laughs> But um, Moira and Apocalypse form the X-Men together, and Apocalypse enslaves Sinister, and the Apocalypse War begins. Um, And that one actually didn't provide a cause of death for her. I don't know. Remember, it plays out in Powers of Ten. That's the one with, that's X2 with Rasputin, Cardinal. That's the one that I didn't pick up on until this read-through. Okay. Um, I did not pick up on that one, actually. Okay, so basically, Powers of Ten plays out with four different timelines. Yeah. There's, like, year one, where the dream happens, year ten, where Krakoa's happening, which it's hilarious to me that, like, all of X-Men history fits in ten years in this storyline. That's so funny to me. (laughs) Yeah. Those are some busy years. (laughs) Um, Yeah, 100%. But then there's, like, year 100. And that's sort of like this dystopian thing where there are these characters. There's one named Rasputin who has like amalgams of Peter, Pyotr Rasputin, Colossus's powers and um, Kitty Pride's powers. And then there's like Cardinal who looks like a red nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. And basically you see them fighting against the robot Nimrod mm-hmm. and trying to overthrow 
the natural conclusion of artificial intelligence. And this whole time it's playing out and you're like, oh, this is the future. But then it's revealed, no, this is the future of Life 9. This is like after the Apocalypse War, all of the third timeline of Powers of Ten is Life 9. Mm-hmm. And that's how it that's how it played out when she decided to let Apocalypse be the one that was in charge of Yeah, exactly. Of Krakoa. Like it wasn't Krakoa then, but basically like it's a really similar idea. Because when Apocalypse shows up to Krakoa, he's like, Why would I fight you? This is what I've wanted forever. Yeah. Forever I've wanted you guys to like, like separate yourselves cool. and be survival of the fittest. Like this rules. And so like it makes it Life Nine probably played out pretty similarly to how Life Ten is playing out now. Mm-hmm. But at the end of Life Nine, they basically go on a suicide mission to get the information for where Nimrod oh, comes from. Oh, right, yes. And then they, they load it into Moira, and then Wolverine <laughs> kills her to reboot a life. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. yes. So that's Life right. Nine. I do remember that now. Um, and so with the end of that life, we are introduced into Life 10, which is the one that we read. Um, and so she goes on to enroll in Oxford, meets Xavier. She marries Joseph McTaggart and found, um, founds the Muir Institute. She wins the Nobel prize and she gives birth to Proteus. Um, and Moira and oh, wow, Ex- for Proteus. what was that? I, I like the Proteus arc a lot. I think it's a really fun bit of comics. Like so I said, pour one out for Proteus. <laughs> Okay, you're funny. Um, and then Moira and Xavier recruit Magneto. Moira fakes her death and genocide at Genosha. And then we are put into the House of X timeline. And that is where we are currently. So it's the Man, end of my little ki- timeline. You killed that. That's going to be such <laughs> a good resource for people to come back to. Well, I mean, I will say I just copied it out of this little chart. So everyone also refer to the little chart in the end of... House of X 2. It's very, very good. Very good. But don't um, forget that Life 6 doesn't exist. But it does. Yeah. <laughs> so during that little altercation with Mystique and Destiny, <laughs> it's revealed that Destiny, who Destiny's an insanely powerful, right? Yes. And so fun fact, she is Irene Adler from the Sherlock Holmes books. That's Destiny. Oh. That's like a fun little X-Men lore tidbit. Really? She, yeah, that's Irene Adler. And it says that when her and Mystique, because they've they're married, their mm-hmm. wives, um, when they first oh met God. each other, it says just in passing, it doesn't actually say that this is who Mystique was, but they say they first met when Mystique was masculine presenting and was a detective in Victorian England. <gasps> and so like the implication is that Mystique was Sherlock Holmes and <laughs> Destiny is Irene Adler from that. And so that's just like a fun little tidbit. It's never come up other than just to like kind of wink at the audience. Yeah. Oh, that's fun though. There's an aside. Um, But basically Destiny, most powerful precog ever to my understanding. Someone might correct me. But she lets Moira know that you have 10 lives, 11 if you make the right choice at the end. Mm-hmm. Which, like, for me was like, row, what is yeah. the right choice? So my next question is, what do we think Moira's right choice at the end of life? Oh, that is such a good question. 
What do you think it is? I don't know. Like, you tell me. You're the one that wrote that question. So I feel like you have something I... in mind. <laughs> That's just classic Dallas right there. Ask yeah. a question that he just wants to answer. That's true. Um, Bring it on. I think, so there's a lot going on in this book about intelligences and societies growing as they become like amalgams of intelligence. Mm -hmm. That like, if you basically, for all you Superman fans out there, it basically says like Brainiac has it right. Like if you absorb enough intelligence, you become a god, right? Mm -hmm. And so it seems like that is what Moira is building towards. She's very blatant with Charles and Eric at, in Life 10 where she's like, we always lose. And they're yeah. like, but this time we won't. But she doesn't agree with them. She's yeah. like, she doesn't say anything. She's just going, okay. But it really seems like she, after these 10 lives and living thousands of years, she, I could very much see her using the X-Men and using Krakoa as a stepping stone towards becoming a singularity these things that the book has been talking about as like ultimate intelligences and it even goes as far to say as like it takes like 10 10 like large minds put together to make like a singularity like yeah and so after 10 full lives like this i feel like her goal to get her 11th life and to escape this cycle would be to become a singularity which is a little bit sinister because like oh. she will have to betray the baddies and it kind of makes sense why she doesn't want any precogs on the island yes. She's like, i don't need destiny telling you all i'm not really on your team because <gasps> like that's my thoughts because uh -huh. it doesn't really make sense for her to be like they the other x-men can't know that we really have an uphill battle to be here you yeah, know exactly. like that doesn't make sense that doesn't that doesn't track but like letting destiny be dead because you don't want her to tell everybody else you're going to betray them. That makes the most sense to me. Oh, of course. But maybe I'm going to have egg on my face and be completely wrong. In five <laughs> years, this is all over. People can come back and be like, Dallas, you're a dumbass. <laughs> you okay. had too much red twine on your hands. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, what do you think her right choice will be? Oh, see, I don't know. I've been like, so I've been reading these questions as Dallas has been putting them into our little shared notes and I will say I feel like that one is the one that like ugh, keeps tripping me up the most I have no idea because why would she think that any of the choices that she's made aren't the right choice you know I feel like that begs the question of like is there even at all a right choice is that something that destiny just said to scare the living daylights out of her before she burned her alive I could see that. There's this really fun bit of the X-Men. They're X -Men. very sinister. <laughs> after, after Destiny dies, there's this whole storyline where they find Destiny's diaries about, yeah. like, stuff that'll happen in the future. And they've slowly, just, like, every couple years, one of the things will come true in the storyline, which has been a really fun, like, continuity thing that the X-Men have done. Yeah. So, like, it is proven that more often than not, Destiny is right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. That's valid. We'll, we'll let that go with a grain of salt and ignore what I just said. We'll believe that it's real. But I don't know. That was such a good question. And I feel like you said it so perfect. Well, thank you. That's the purpose of these questions is to flex how smart I am, really. Um, and, but I guess a question that I, I want your opinion on mm -hmm. before I go into anything. What do you think of the Quiet Council? Good government, bad government, kind of spooky. I want to know your thoughts on Quiet Council. 
So we're talking like them as a whole, like all, um, I guess, four groups of them all. Yeah, just that idea of like the 12 people coming together. And then like we get to see them as a governing body once with the yeah. decision of what laws are important and what they're going to do to Sabretooth. I will say I kind of like how um, we get a very broad mix of people because I could very easily see them picking um, all of their homies. You know, like Xavier could be like, I'm going to pick all of my bitches and they're going to all say what I want them to say. But they don't do that. They they pick um, honestly some scary people, which I feel like will hold them in balance for the time being. I'm not saying that they're going to be perfect forever, but I feel like our first look at them was pretty good. I thought um, and it was also kind of my favorite thing, too, when Emma was like I'm gonna need another spot and I'm just in my mind I'm like Kate that's Kate's spot my favorite the sweet baby queen (laughs) oh little Kate with her little curly hair and her purple dragon but um I don't know I liked them what do you what do you think I feel like you have um probably a different opinion but I don't know they just seem like an oligarchy to me which is never a good thing yeah (laughs) It seems like 12 people coming together and without any real checks or balances, mm-hmm. making decisions for the entire group. True. So like, and I mean, we've basically seen, and this is totally betraying that I've read two more years of this story than this book. <laughs> but like, we recently saw that they were like, it's our way or the highway. And then when there were people that disagreed, instead of the body reassessing, they just kicked those people out. Yeah. <laughs> And so, like, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're calling this next era of the X-Men after Dawn of X the Reign of Ten. Because, like, <laughs> now there are only ten people in the Quiet Council. Yes. I don't know. I think we should all have a wary eye on what's going on with the Quiet mm-hmm. Council. Like, I don't, I don't think they're a great governing body. Wait, who else died? So... Because I know about Shaw, obviously. Well, he come. He, they don't kill him. They just beat him within an inch of his life. Oh, good. So he's not. He's not one of <laughs> the two that disappear. Basically, oh. um, at the end of Ten of Swords, there's one person that leaves because it's kind of like the the natural conclusion of their arc. And yeah. then there's another person that leaves because they descend from the group. And I don't mm-hmm. want to like spoil anything. So I won't say anything more than that. Again, you should go read Ten of Swords. It's really good. A ton of complex thoughts about the Quiet Council. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do think we should all have kind of like a stanky eye pointed at them. <laughs> Be a little sus. Be a little sus of them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you want to move us into this next question? Yes. Okay, Dallas. Which character introduced to build some of Krakow was the most interesting to you? Cypher for language Forge for Cerebro, Sinister for Bodies, The Five for Resurrection, and Emma for the Economy. Um, I just listed those because I thought like, those were the interesting ones to me. If you have another like character introduction that you liked better, you're more yeah. welcome to talk about that. But for me, um, I mean, all of those were really cool, frankly. But 
I think in hindsight, just as somebody that studied a dead language, as somebody that loves languages, mm -hmm. the idea of Cypher coming on and inventing a whole language to make this group culturally distinct was really mm -hmm. fun for me. And I mean, it's the most important thing he's done in 30 years. And I like Doug. I think he's a great character. So I really, really enjoyed Charles bringing Doug to Krakoa and then Doug and Krakoa becoming besties. Yeah, I love how they're best friends. And I love how Xavier just like yeets his suitcase out of the plane is like, have fun. Bye. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you live on this island now. Have fun yeah. inventing a language. And I honestly, I think that's going to come up though as well because cypher i think they all keep forgetting that kirkoa is a person in the story yeah you know like I mean, they I all do i feel guilty yeah but like, and they make the law that like this is a sacred land you know yeah. but like i very much could see kirkoa being like you guys aren't welcome here anymore and like cypher kind of being caught in the middle of that you oh, know yeah so that was a really fun bit for me and also I didn't realize until reading this time, Charles Xavier in his safari outfit in the jungle <laughs> looks exactly like Cassandra Nova, who was like really terrifying bad guy from yeah. the X-Men. And I was like, is this intentional or is this just like safari a nod? Outfit. <laughs> yeah, is this just safari outfit or is he dressed like Cassandra Nova and I'm supposed to be terrified? <laughs> but like, like, should I be alarmed? Maybe. Basically, like every choice they make with Charles Xavier is a little bit terrifying like in his like black sleek outfit with cerebro on his head he looks like the maker who was terrifying <laughs> he's alarming and then he looks like cassandra nova when he's in his little safari outfit and then when he's in his regular outfit his eyebrows are whack so like <laughs> overall terrifying guy um, i would agree with you but then i guess i also i have to say i think the introduction of sinister really shows that like the x-men are making some questionable choices to yes. get to where they want to be you know mm -hmm. they're working with a known evil eugenicist to be like <laughs> we need you and we're going to to use you and then like the info pages from life nine let you know that like sinister was never not in charge and so it makes you wonder like what does he have going on right now in life 10 because yes. like sinister doesn't give a shit about the mutant independence mutant island of Krakoa he's in it because he has a goal and I think that's very scary yeah it's very eerie um I feel like on my end of this question I definitely keep coming back to the thought of the five and how they like I just keep getting hung up how in the world did they come together and discover that they could literally resurrect people like I feel like that is eerie that they figured that out I think it's really cool. They definitely go into it more in the book Excalibur about yeah. like the idea of these mutant machines is what they call them or mutant magic. Yeah. That like if you combine multiple powers, then something cool can happen. So like Storm and Charles combined their powers to have that like water projection of Gene during the suicide mission yeah. in House of X, Four and Powers of X and yeah. Powers of Ten Four. But then like they even go back to the classic run. I don't know if you know about this, but like the fastball special where Colossus throws Wolverine. <laughs> like, because Wolverine's a little tiny guy yeah. and Colossus is a gigantic guy. So yeah. all the time when they're fighting, they just call it the fastball special. I think that's and so you just funny. get like Wolverine in your face. <laughs> and so, so scary. On one of the data pages, I think it's in Excalibur, 
they say like this was the first example of like combining powers to make something better and we kind of worked off and experimented from there mm-hmm. and like the five are obviously the most fascinating version of that yeah but it sounds like it just kind of came through like experimentation and being like well because they kind of like walk through through the book once they discover that golden balls balls are eggs yeah they're like all right what do we need then to make this all work and then yeah. they build the team from there makes sense i yeah no 100 percent that that makes sense um but yeah i think they're to me they're the most interesting because just the pure thought of resurrection is just very interesting and i feel like it kind of gives them that god complex that they mentioned in the beginning like well if we literally can't die like (laughs) what are you gonna do about it you know um but i feel like it's another a good time to jump into our next question that you have planned for us um i was gonna say do you have a thread planted here that you are most excited to see come to fruition fruition um i think all the stuff with the singularities is gonna be really interesting to see play out because i think we've collectively kind of forgotten about them. At least I had, you know, they're a Mm -hmm. huge part of this book and a huge, like, this is where things end up that I just forgot. And Hickman is the king of like introducing something and then paying it off like five years later. Yeah. So I think that'll be really cool. I am so excited for horror film slasher when Creed gets out of the pit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like when he escapes and when, I, he murders everyone. Yeah. We talked a little bit. I referenced something specifically that I think will happen on that surprise show that you'll find out about at the end of the month. So I'm not going to say it here just to like tease you and make you go watch that. <laughs> but Look like, for it. I very much think if there there's a scene that I was like, I bet they do this. And if they do, it will be so terrifying and so fun. Yeah. Um, I really... Everybody and their dog has been complaining about Marvel Girl's outfit. And they're like, that's a 40-year-old woman in, like, a 17-year-old's outfit. What the hell is happening? And, like, I am so excited for when that manifests as a Phoenix arc. And I can just, like, smugly sit on top of my hill like I knew it all along. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'll – honestly, maybe I'm wrong with all this shit. Maybe, like, it, none of it is this big. But I love that this book is good enough that it has me thinking like this. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially because like you're someone that has been with these characters for such a long time. I'm curious to see like what they like if they are actually going to do something that you expect, you know? Mm-hmm. So those are probably the threats for me. I'm really excited. Like Sabretooth is going to get out of that pit. Yeah. And it's going to be scary. And that, because he even tells you in the book, he's like, there's never been a cage that was made that could keep me in. Ooh. And it's like, he's going to get out. He's going to give Kokoa some major indigestion. He's going to be so scary. I'm really excited to see what they do with Marvel Girl. I think she's kind of been on the back burner for the last two years of the books. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I hope she gets moved into prominence because I think she's a really interesting character. And well, then Moira's well, last arc is going to be crazy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But I kind of wanted to ask you with what you're saying about Marvel Girl, I know that you have mentioned a theory that you have. Um I feel like this kind of goes together with this this similar question, but like, what's your theory with these characters? Um, well, there was like, and again, this could all be crazy, right? <laughs> Take this worth Dallas. a grain of salt. But there was a bit on one of the data pages in House of X: Powers of Ten 
where they talk about the only thing that can defeat the phalanx, this giant um, hive mind made above all the singularities, is Galactus, uh-huh. who just got killed in the Thor books, or the Phoenix. And, like, I know that the Phoenix is off doing whatever the hell with Echo in the Jason Aaron <laughs> Avengers books. But, like, Jean Grey is Phoenix. I I hate what everything that they've done with the Phoenix Force since it left the X-Men has been stupid, in my opinion. Yeah. And so, like, I wholeheartedly believe that, like, Jean Grey as Phoenix will be the thing that saves the day from Moira's betrayal. That's my that's my theory. We'll Ooh. see if it plays out. I haven't heard anyone else talk about that. Um, so maybe maybe exclusive. You heard it here first. Ooh. If that happens, I don't know. I'll probably celebrate. But <laughs> that is an ending to this era that I think I could see happening. That would be awesome. I like I, I like hot takes with Dallas. How about you? What are some of your things that you are excited to see play out? Oh. I don't know. I feel like I'm, well, I'm just really excited to like read the rest of the books that are already out. You know, I'm, I'm late to the game. So I feel like I've got lots to catch up on. And so I'm just excited to see what's already happened. (laughs) I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's silly, but. um, No, you should. It's honestly for anybody that this is like your first exposure to the X-Men or what's going on with the X-Men. This is such a beautiful starting point and Every book is good after this. Yeah. I know not a lot of people liked Fallen Angels that came out. I didn't end up reading that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't speak to that. And then, like, personally, I'm not a huge fan of the X Factor book. But, like, I know a lot of people are. And yeah. I can see that it's really high quality. It just doesn't really, like, speak to me. Um, So literally any X-Men book after this era I think is good. And honestly, you should just read them all because they make a beautiful tapestry. That's such a flex. Like. Yeah. Like, the X-Men books have, haven't been this good Everything since is good. the 80s. Everything is so good right now. And it's beautiful. Um, but, for the sake of time, I feel like I could go on and on about this book forever. But <sighs> Yeah, absolutely. We, we should move into reader questions, which, this has been so fun for me, getting all these reader questions. I think questions. it's so cute. I love it. I, lo- I love people when people like reach us. out to us. <laughs> oh, you made me feel so special. Um, but so first I'm going to read, we got a couple from Twitter. So mm-hmm. Matt from the account 616 Vulcan said in a book with a lot of mind boggling revelations, what was the craziest to you guys? So Ooh. while you think, I think one thing I haven't mentioned yet on this episode that I want to well, I think the biggest thing for me was that suicide mission with all the main X-Men to go stop the Mother Mold. Dang you. Where they all they all died at the end of that issue. And we didn't know resurrection was the thing yet. <laughs> and I was like, they just killed all the main X-Men. Like, what what the hell is going on? How is it? What? <laughs> what? What? And yeah. then when they brought them all back to life, it like melted my brain. So like that was a huge revelation for me as a reader that really sort of set the tone for what Krakoa was going to be. True. Sorry that I stole that from you. <laughs> I know. Now I'm like coming up with another one. Um, revelation. Such a good question. Hmm. Dang. You really like swiped that one right from underneath me. Good. Now everyone can listen to you scramble. 
the disrespect. That's just pure disrespect. Ooh, I don't know. I feel like I really, um, how it kind of closed out the sixth life with the thou like the year thousand or whatever with um powers of 10 i feel like that was really full circle and i liked that a lot and i liked seeing um that that was what that life had become for her and she had just let it moira had just let it run out it's time you know i thought that was very interesting to me it was also such a good precursor for how hickman tells stories yeah where like he set something up and then he pays it off way down the line after you forgot it even got set up. And so it was kind of reassuring to see that he did that in the opening books. And so it's allowed us all to be patient with things that are introduced throughout X-Men right now, knowing that they will get paid off like five, ten years down the road, however long yeah. this goes. True. Um, all right. So our next question comes from Deep Double Two, DD2 for nerd stuff on Twitter. <laughs> He said, what are your thoughts on the concept of Krakoa as a mutant nation? Um, so we talked a little bit about this at the top of the episode with the Israel comparison. Mm -hmm. I do think, like, the X-Men aren't wrong for wanting to stand up for themselves. No, I agree. Point. Like, a lot of people are talking about how, oh, they don't act like superheroes anymore. And I'm interested to see the tension between the newly founded X-Men coming out of the Hellfire Gala mm -hmm. and the Quiet Council. <laughs> I think that'll be really some really interesting storytelling. But overall, like, hats off to the X-Men, man. Humans have been nothing but bad to you guys for so long. It's true. And you have every right to stand up for yourself, in my opinion. Yeah, and I feel like they're doing it in a tasteful way. Like, they're a little bit threatening, but, like, they're doing it nicely for what, for what humans deserve, you know? Like, they could really do terrible things to people <laughs> and they've decided mm -hmm. not to. <laughs> um, and then we have a bonus question from deep double two, which says also an extra question. What do you think of the run that came right before house of X powers of 10? So, like I said, I was reading Matt Rosenberg's X-Men run and I think it was a really, really good bit of X-Men amidst what they had to work with at the time, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it's not it's not even comparable to what's going on with House of X Powers of Ten. <laughs> not even which close. I feel bad because Matt Rosenberg's an awesome guy. He's been on the podcast. I literally talked with him about this subject on like our third episode we ever did, like two years ago. Yeah. So if you want to go back to that our Matt Rosenberg interview to have him talk about his X-Men run, that's it's on the feed. He's a great Ooh. guy. Um but it is interesting, like, he got to write the last bit of X-Men before all this Krakoa stuff happened, you know? Yeah. And it sort of ended on this note of, like, hope that the X-Men can rally and, like, defeat the odds that they're faced with. And so then to have that juxtaposed with the House of X, Powers of Ten, where it just comes out and it's like, and this is how we did it. And, like, life is our bitch now, you know? <laughs> like, we made death our bitch. Yeah. <laughs> is It's really cool. So I liked it. I don't think it compares to the quality that we have right now. Um, all right. So John Bry Shadowheart from the account John Bry 97 said, what is your opinion on the new history of Krakoa, Okara, Arako? Um, so that's some ten of swords gobbly goop for anybody out there that doesn't know what that's all about. Um, right. 
It did. I was surprised. It did get introduced here in House of X Powers of Ten, though, that like there was a second half of Krakoa that got broken off. So like it used to be the island Okara. And then there was a war that Apocalypse was a part of that ended with that island being split in half. Uh-huh. And half of the island went to go be like a warlike island. Oh. And so I'm not going to get super into all of it because that really gets explored well in Ten of Swords. And I don't want to spoil that for Alexis because I really want her to read it. I, I am going to love read it, it, so hush up. Um, but I do think some really interesting stuff has occurred coming out of Ten of Swords. So I'm sorry, John Bryce Shadowheart. That's not a great, great answer to your question because I don't want to spoil it for Alexis. But I think we it's very interesting. Back. And I think Ten of Swords is an excellent, excellent book. Uh, all right. And then finally, we have an email from friend of the pod, one of our favorite listeners. Yeah, that's right. We pick favorites, everybody. <laughs> uh, Sivara from the account Sivara underscore comics on Twitter. She's a great follow if you're She's looking so for if you're looking for people to talk comics with. She says, hi and full of love on you, too. First, I want to say that I love to listen to every episode since I discovered you, and it is really fun and exciting. Thanks, Savara. Mm. We've got a fan all the way in France. Love it. Um, it. She says, now Moira time. So what are your thoughts on Moira's plan? Everything mainly about precogs or even the current era she has brought. And what do you think of Moira's retcon? What Hickman brought her, and do you hope to see her again soon? Thanks again, and can't wait to listen to this new episode. Oh, I love emails. <laughs> yeah, they're sweet. They make Everyone's my heart. so nice. <laughs> they make my heart warm. Um, all right, Alexis, what do you think of Moira's tenth life? Based on what we know from her other nine lives, do you think she's doing a good job here? And what do you think of all the precog stuff? I feel like, oh, um, in my opinion, I feel like out of all of the lives that we've seen that she's led, I feel like this one is appearing to be the most peaceful for the X-Men and for the mutants um, appearing. I say that very thick because of course we know she it has banned the precogs. So we, there's definitely something going on behind the scenes and we would be naive to not address it, you know? Um, so I think that on the surface, it's a really good run of her life um the 10th life but i feel like there's a lot more to come that we just haven't seen yet and with the banishment of the precogs i feel like that's the whole underline of it and i feel like that's what we should be aware of and be prepared for so yeah i i mean i hate to break it to you Savara, but i think moira's a baddie <gasps> I, I know she's your favorite and she's awesome. Like, I thank you for bringing us Krakoa. Man, Moira Montagger, <laughs> you will always have a gold star for me for saving the X-Men from 10 years of boring-ass comics. Yeah. Uh, oops, sorry that I said that. But, <laughs> like, mm, I think she's spooky. And I think there's going to be some bad stuff. And I think when, she show, when Moira shows up, it's not going to be a very happy thing for all of us. Because, like, yeah. the X-Men don't know she's alive. When it says she fakes her own death with the Shi'ar Golem, she died back in, like, the 90s of the X-Men. So she's been hiding out, and the only people who have known she's alive forever has been um, Magneto and Charles. And then, like, there's sort of a hint that maybe Emma figured it out. 
Yeah. And that comes up in, I'm pretty sure that comes up in Marauders. She makes the statue of Moira, right? Yeah, she does. Yeah. So that was totally her being like a dick to Charles and Eric. Like, I know what you two are up to. Yeah. Stupid idiots. She's like, I've seen it. Um, And then what do we think about Moira's retcon overall? And do we hope to see her again soon? I think this was a stroke of genius from Jonathan Hickman. I think it's such a fun reimagining of a great character. And it's made the X-Men books better. Like, hands down. This is the best the X-Men have been in literal decades. So, again, gold star for Moira McTaggart from me. And do I hope we see her again? I don't know. I wouldn't mind seeing what she's up to in her no place, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't want her to interact with the other X-Men yet. I genuinely want, like, the first real interaction she has to be... um, that spooky thing that I said might happen on the other podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I think that would be really fun. Um, we just keep hinting at this other thing. I'm excited. Y'all better keep an eye out. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the retcon? And do you want to see Moira soon, Lex? Uh, I feel like it's not a question of do I want to, but I feel like it's a question of we have to see her soon. So <laughs> yeah. I agree. Something spooky is going to happen. There, uh, you- there's going to be some big thing. Do you think she's going to show up at the Hellfire Gala? Oh. If she does, I hope she's decked to the nines. She's yeah, got to compete she can, with some heat. She can show up like white chocolate Charles Xavier. <laughs> I mean, as long as it's better than Kate's outfit. Oh. I'm still pouting about it. But it makes sense because she has it terrible It does because she's the worst, but also <laughs> the best. We do love Kate Pride. This is a Kate Pride podcast i'm a kate pride stan She's yeah me. love her um all right everybody this has been another episode of the comics collective podcast mm-hmm. thank you so much for writing in that was so fun if you made it all this way you are one of the chosen and you get bumped sure. to the front of the line of Krakoa and resurrection <laughs> yeah. i have been dallas and my co-host is alexis And we love you guys dearly. Thanks so much. See you guys. Bye.